Um, I get the privilege of finishing up chap, uh, Samuel this morning. So you call me to clean up. Come here to finish this up and put a bow on it. And uh, next week, uh, Pastor Jesse will, will preach something out of somewhere, uh, the Bible, but one of the books there. And uh, then we'll, uh, a few weeks after that, we'll probably get back into uh, a book. Uh, most possibly we'll just continue into 2 Samuel, but I'm not sure if that's been uh, completely determined. But, uh, but we will do that. We are going to con- uh, continue in the book of Samuel, and we are in the last chapter, chapter 31. And so as we open up chapter 31, um, I wanted to remind us where we started Okay, now, I'm not going to do a full recap, but i got to give us a little recap to realize uh, where we are at this point. And when uh, Samuel opens up, we have a barren wife crying out to the Lord for a child. And God hears her prayer, and uh, Samuel is born, and this child is left in the temple to be raised by the priest, by, by Eli. And um, as, as we may or may not remember, um, Eli probably never won any parenting awards uh, probably never even wrote a book on parenting. In fact, he wasn't the best uh, father, and you can tell because he didn't have the best kids. But he did manage to teach Samuel something very good, and he wasn't his father, so, so he was a good mentor at least. And he taught Samuel how to hear the voice of God. Excuse me, it's a second sermon, so voices saying that's enough. <laughs> but we're going. Um, So he taught Samuel how to listen to the voice of God, and Samuel grows up uh, to be a prophet that Israel needed at the time, and he gets the privilege of anointing two kings for Israel, right? Uh, First, uh, Saul, and uh, later on, he he anoints David, even though David's time's not yet, but he has the privilege of anointing David as God's uh, next chosen king. And... uh, because, and the, the reason we get to the point where he's anointing the, uh, the kings is because Israel is, is kind of jealous of, of all these other nations around them. Uh, after all, they've got a king, and we want to have a king just like every other nation. Why, why can't we have a king? Oh, we want a king, and they start, we want a king, they have, you know, campaigns, we want a king, and God's like, you want a king? I'm the king of kings, but if you want a king, we're going to give you a king, and uh, that's how they end up uh, with Saul few more details in there, but, you know, we're just trying to get through, figure out where we're at right now. So God gives Israel the king that they had begged him for, but not the king he wanted for them. Because we know that they looked at the outside, and God looks at the heart. So Saul becomes this king, and he's neither a, a political leader nor a great warrior king, right? He's neither a spiritual leader nor a practical leader. Um, Saul might appear kingly because, as, as it says, he's head and shoulders above everybody else. He's this tall, kingly-looking king, which I'm not even sure what that means, but everybody wanted a tall king. That must have been like the, the in thing, to have a tall king. But, as we've said over and over again, the, li- the guy literally cannot find a herd of donkeys on a dirt road. And he's just bumbling his way th- uh, through this. And that's pretty much descriptive of, of Saul's leadership throughout, you know, throughout, the, throughout the book of Samuel. Now, yeah, he does stumble into doing a few good things, a few right things every once in a while. Um, but overall, he's, he's not a, a king to be uh, proud 
over. So when we find ourselves in chapter 31, um, we're looking at Saul one last time. And the last time we, we saw Saul, we saw Saul, was in uh, chapter 28. And if you remember, he, he ran to the cave and he, he, he ran to a, to a medium, right? To, to hear uh, how this battle was going to turn out, how this war was going to turn out. So he runs, and that's uh, on, on a practical level. That's a few weeks back when Pastor Juan preached. Uh, that was that sermon. In chapter 28, and in verse 19 of 28, we hear, it says, Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also to you in the hands, into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hands of the Philistines. So Saul is hearing that his time and his days are numbered, that he is going to die and his children are going to die. And he's kind of like going into this, this battle, having known that this is the last thing that he was, he was told. And so he's not in a good place emotionally. He's not in a good place spiritually. He's not in a good place physically. He was starving as he was getting this, this news. He was just not in a good place. And as we see this last chapter, David is not mentioned in this last chapter. But we know that, that David has just come off of a victory. Um, and and we, we see what, what's, what's going on here um, with this. David is, uh, he, he's, he just came off a victory, as we, we read and studied last week. And as he won this, this, this battle, um, he got all the, the spoils from the war, and they divided it up amongst all the cities that, 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 that he divided it over. There were just cities that were connected there. And, and so David's like, man, we're winning. We're winning. This, this, things are good. Things are good. And then we turn to Saul. And as we read through this passage today, we're going to come across much death. And there's only one glimmer of anything positive, and it's tied around Saul's death and where he's at. But, but this is where we are, and we see that this is a direct judgment of God upon the life of Saul and Israel. And as believers, we can see, that this, we can see this passage and learn even from a man as lost as Saul. You see, because one of the things I, I, I learned in life is that you do not have to have a bad experience to learn from it, right? A, a smart man learns from his mistake, but a wise man learns from others' mistakes. And so let's use this passage today and learn from Saul's mistakes and learn from, from, some, from where Saul uh, was at. And, and we will see that as men live, so will they die. And as we read this passage... Let's keep in mind that our life should reflect the hope that we have in Christ. And as we, we hold that, we realize that Saul was far from that, had no hope in God, no, no hope in his provisions, no hope in who he was. But let us read this passage together in Samuel, 1 Samuel 31. And it reads as such. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel... And the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. And the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinabah and Malikasha, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him. 
and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearers, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his very own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Then Saul, thus Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor bearers, and, uh, and all, all the men in that same day together. And when the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley, and those beyond the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Asheroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his son from the walls, the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree of Jabesh and fasted seven days. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you, Lord, this morning for your word. We thank you for this opportunity and privilege to sit under your word. Now as we open up your word, we ask you, Lord, that you would teach us something new this morning. Open our eyes to, to things in our life that, that don't draw us to you, that cause us to depend on our own strength. Help us, Father, to to see what you have for us this morning here in your word. We ask that you would speak to each and every one of us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we look at this passage, I, I, there's five observations that, that I have um, in regards to this pa passage. And the first one uh, comes out of the first verse. And, and that observation is that life without Christ leads us to trust in our own strength. Life without Christ leads us to trust in our own strength. And it says, Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Now, Saul has no regard for what God wants. We, we rarely see God, uh, excuse me, we rarely see Saul trying to honor or obey God or to seek God's directions. Um, there, there's a few times where something he, he does to kind of like go to Samuel and he knows it's kind of like the ritual of what needs to happen before he goes into battle to make sure he's kind of not like walking out from under God's protection. But, but it's usually a, a, a self-preserving uh, rite that he does or ritual that he does to, to, to try to, to, to seek God in doing that. So, but there are a few cases of that, but but here we see, we see him have no regard for God. Now you're like, but come on, man, it's, it's the middle of a of a battle. Like, what do you expect? Well, nothing less than what maybe David did in First Samuel 37, uh, 30 verse 7. He says, 
uh, it says, And David said to Ashpenar the priest, the son of Amalek, Bring me the ephod. So Ashpenar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and surely rescue. So David had a moment to kind of like stop and, 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 and inquire of God and, and see what God wanted for him. Um, you know, it does not take too long, but just go to God. But nope, not Saul. Saul, rather, his, his passage reads, And the men of Israel fled before the Philistines. Like, let's just run. Let's go. This, this is not going to be good. Because he is not known as this man of God that seeks God. He's just, you know, just, just impulsive. Let's, let's just go. Let's go chase. Let's go look after those donkeys. Let's go. Let's go do these things. And, and here he is. It leads him to falsely trust in his own abilities, which were already lacking, right? Also adding to the pressure that he knows he's going to die only compounds the bad decisions that he's making. Like it's not allowing him to think clearly in making decisions. And, and retreating is, in itself is not always a bad thing. Like, I'm, I'm sure there's times where it's good to retreat in a battle so that you could gather your men and, and, and go forward. Um, but not being under God's protection is always horrible at all times, right? So Saul's decision takes him to the side of a mountain. Now, normally, if you know anything about war, warfare, um, which I don't, but I have seen enough movies to know that uh, the higher the ground is usually to your advantage. And so you're thinking, okay, well, at least he ran to, to the side of a mountain that's going to give him some advantage, right? Well, that only works if you're not outnumbered and, and have, uh, you know, you have ammunition and stuff to fight with. But these guys just ran. They ran. And, and it says that the Philistines were like right behind them. So it doesn't even give them time to like hide or get anywhere strategic. They just ran and went up to the side of this mountain and it's just um, a series of, of practical decisions that he takes with no regards to God. And, and, and what happens to him? What happens to this? He, he, he's, he's trusting in his own strength, which is very much what we do, right? Like, you know, we, we, we get in a situation, it's like, okay, let me just lean on, on what I know. And we may not say that, but we do that. We will trust what we'll, we'll, we'll just go to... Um, acting impulsively on, on, on what it is, whether it's, uh, you know, saying a lie at work or at school and just, oh, I didn't study for this test. Oh, man, let me, let me see what my neighbor put on their paper. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's the right answer. And, and we just take, try to take shortcuts and try to, try to do things in situations that, that don't allow us to, 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 one, honor and glorify God, but to seek God in what he, he wants from us. So, and, and unfortunately, this is, this is a reality on a spiritual level for us. We don't, we tend to not want to seek answers, uh, seek answers from God when we're searching for those answers. And, and that's what happens when we have this life without, without Christ, right? In his situation, life without trusting in God, but in our life, uh, when we, a life without Christ leads us to trust in our own strength. And so what happens here in verse 2? And I see in this next set of verses, that a uh, next verse, that a life without Christ has consequences for those around us, right? A life without Christ has consequences for those around us. And what does it say? The Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinab and Machishua. 
Now, we won't worry about the names too much because we won't be saying them very much longer, but they all die here in this situation. And as we read in this verse, in the previous verse, we see that, that, that Saul has retreated to the side of this mountain, and, and who is it that pays the price? Now, they're all going to pay the price, but first his, his children are the ones that his, uh, well, three of his sons um, are paying the price for this decision that he has made to trust in himself and, and, and choose to, to do that. Now, as we, you know, we read those names, uh, you know, Abinab and, and Malchish, the son of Saul, they, they really don't really mean a lot to us because we haven't heard much about them. We haven't, we haven't seen much happening with them. They may have been mentioned in a few uh, stories here and there, but they're not key players. Um, and it's horrible. It's horrible to have to experience the, the death of a child, but it's devastating to know that it's because of your choices that you made. And here we have Saul watching his sons get killed because of the choices that he's made. But in the list of names, we hear the name of Jonathan. And that one hurts a little bit because we kind of like, like Jonathan. We've been endeared to him a bit. We, we know that he's David's good friend. We know that he is loyal to David, um, also loyal to his father as, as a son and knowing that his dad's the king. But, but we see that Jonathan pays the price for, for Saul's decisions. And even when Jonathan was faithful uh, to his father, uh, just as the prophecy had, had, had been told to Saul, here he is witnessing his death. And so the decisions that Saul made had direct implications on, on those that he loved. You see, his bad decision cost the life of his children. And again, this is not any different than, than we see when, when we see, um, you know, a, a parent that, that's hurting their child because of the addiction that they have. Um, it's not any different than, than seeing the, 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 the cost that divorce has on children. It's not any different than seeing uh, just choices that are, that, are, that are made by parents and the kids have to pay the, the cost of that. You see, when we choose to sin, the implications or consequences of that sin affect our loved ones. A life without Christ has consequences for those around us, just as living in disobedience has its consequences. Uh, there's many passages in the Bible that, that talk about uh, how, how God punishes not only the, the fathers, but the children. Um, Exodus 25 says, You shall not bow down uh, to them, talking about idols, or worship them. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of, of the sins of their parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Numbers 14, 18, The Lord is long-suffering and great mercy forgiving iniquity and transgressions, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the sons to the third and the fourth generation. Or Jeremiah 32, 17, 18 says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and out, outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show love to the thousands, but bring the punishment for, your, for the parents' sin onto the laps of their children after them. Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty. Now, yes, we understand and know that, that in Christ we are new creation, and, and this, 
this uh, punishment for the sins of the, of the parents uh, can, can be broken, but we also know that there is real consequences. Like, you, you, we, we, we can see this and hear of, of people that say, you know, I don't touch alcohol because my, my mother, my father was an alcoholic, and I know that I'm prone to be addicted to stuff, and I just don't touch it. Because they, they know that. Because these, this is a, a reality that, that, that happens. Or, or just, you know, how we see uh, the children falling into the same addictions as their parents did or falling into the, uh, you know, a divorce. You see how it continues on in families. So, so yes, there is, there is hope in Christ. And it doesn't have to be our sentence. But it is something that we would have to fight through and work through by the grace of God. But this is the reality that we see. And as parents, we need to look out for our children and protect them. But it's more important What's more important than keeping them just away from bad influences and friends and the media and all those things is our own life. We are the greatest influence on the lives of our children. Even if they say they don't agree with you, they don't like you, yo, yo, mom, dad, you got to stop that. That's, you know, why, why do you do that? You know, it's just a matter of time before they're like, oh, I just did what my parents used to do. Or, you know, I was just, just as passionate on the other side of the argument as you were for this side. And they, they learn that from us. So we need to be careful on, on how we raise our children and realize that the choices that we make will greatly influence the way that they make their choices and how they seek to find answers and where they seek to find answers. Unfortunately for King Saul, his children paid for his mistake, or at least his three boys in this case, uh, paid for their lives. Because a life without Christ has consequences for those around us. The next thing that we see is that a life without Christ leads us to place our hope on earthly solutions. Leads us to place our hope in earthly solutions. So here we have, uh, in verse 3, uh, the battles, it says, the battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest, these uncircumcised, lest the uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it, and when his armor bearer saw that, the, that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died. Thus Saul died, his three sons died, his armor bearer, and all his men, all together on the same day. If you compare Saul's death to Jonathan's death just moments uh, prior, uh, Matthew Henry writes, Jonathan, who received his death wound from the hand of the Philistine and bravely yielded to the fate of war, died on the bed of honor. But Saul dies as a fool dieth. As a coward dieth, a proud fool, a sneaking coward, he died as the man that neither had the fear of God nor the hope in God, neither the reason of a man nor the religion of an Israelite, much less dignity of a prince or the resolution of a soldier. Because why? Saul was trusting in himself. He was, he was, his greatest fear was the fear of man. Now, it's, it's hard to, to see it in the, in the English, and I read, tried to find a translation in English that, that, that had the, a better word. But in verse 4, when it says, uh, lest he's uncircumcised, like he's saying, you know, uh, 
Well, verse 4, then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it. So, so kill me with your sword, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. Um, I'm not sure if anyone has another word in their, their Bible for that. Um, in Spanish, the word was burlad, uh, make fun of. And actually, I went back and it's like, yes, that's actually closer to, to the word. It's, he was scared that they were going to make fun of him in this situation, that they were going to make a mockery out of him is, is what's, what's being said. So this is what he was more scared of. He was more scared of men and, less, and he had less fear of God, of, 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 of wanting to do what God desired from him. This is exactly what the fear of man looks like, where, where you, take a, you make a decision on your own because of what you think others are seeing or others are going to react and you're not worried about what God's word says, of what, of what we need to do, what is the proper thing, what is the necessary thing. So in neither in death or in life was Saul of any value to Israel. And we see his armor bearer just follow the lead of his, of his leader. Um, it, it may be, it, it seems to be more of a duty uh, that he, this is what he needed to do, or, or rather a failure of his responsibility. I mean, as armor bearer, he should have kind of like, you know, bared the armor and taken, protected him somehow. Um, the reason is not exactly explained um, why he felt that this was. Um, when we look at, but, but we know that Saul is, is, um, is credited as, as, you know, being a fool for, for what he did or, or, or th- how it's pointed out that this was wrong in what he did. And no one ever mentions the armor bearer. Um, so, like I said, some say that, that he believed that that was his role, his way was in, upon failing to protect the king, he knew he had to take it upon himself. Um, another commentary uh, said that, that he should have fought his way to secure the body and be able to take the body so that the passage doesn't uh, go the way it did. The truth is, none of us were there. We, it does say they were surrounded, so they knew that there was no way out of it. But the truth is, we, we tend to seek human answers, right? We, we tend to, uh, we, we trust on earthly solutions uh, is what, what happens when we are without Christ. So he finds himself dying, and all, all his care is to keep his body out of the hands of the Philistines instead of being uh, solicitous to resign his soul to the hand of God, the God who gave him his life. And that's another Matthew Henry quote. He is more worried about the Philistines than giving his life up to God. None of these solutions offered, offered hope, offered him hope and trusting, but rather trusting in himself. And so outside of trusting in God, what else are we left with? We can only trust in ourselves or, or maybe somebody else. Psalm 27 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Is that describing us? I'm sure Saul would have really loved to see a chariot or a horse there so he could kind of get out of there. But once he did not see that, he had no hope. He had no hope. We may not be blatant about this as we do a, a reality check in our lives, but, but we see how that behavior uh, tends to work when we, are, when we have that fear of man rather than God. We, we may act like the world to, to better fit in or, or, or we put our trust in earthly things 
to, 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 to fix these earthly, to give us earthly solutions. But a life without Christ will always lead us to place our hope on earthly solutions. The next thing is, as we see in verse 7 through 10, that a life without Christ will cause us to lose more than we are willing to pay. It'll cost us more than we are willing to pay. Now, he's already lost his children here. He's lost a th- a three of his sons. And, but, but it gets worse. It says, And when the men of Israel who were on the, side, uh, the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their city and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head, stripped off his armor, and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Asheroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. What a series of loss do we have in this passage. Um, the army has been decimated. Three of his kids have been killed. His life has been taken. The armor bearer has, given up, has, has also died. People, they, people left their homes. The Philistines are now in their homes. Um, they've come in. They've cut his head off. They've taken his armor. They've placed their body on the walls of the city. Uh, they're going around, around all the, the cities and, and letting them know that they have, have killed them. And it, it's almost... It's not almost. What has happened here is exactly what Saul didn't want. He didn't want them making fun of him. And that's exactly what has happened here. It's almost, it, they're just, it's just a mockery out of everything that he has done. Everything that he's tried to, tried to do in his own, by his own will has just fallen apart. He's just trying to, you know, just trying to fix things. But there was, it was it. It was just, it was done. There was, God's judgment was just coming upon Saul and Israel. So, so the Philistines come back to this land. They, they come back to the, the battlefield, and they're looking around because it's time to pick up spoils and, and, and pick up, you know, what, what, what they could get out of this, this battle, and they find Saul. And it's easy to find Saul, right? Why? Because he's head and shoulders above everybody else, right? He's the tallest guy. Well, now he's the longest guy because he's dead, and he's there with his, with his boys. And what do they do? They cut off his head, take his armor and his body. And so his head gets taken on uh, as a way of announcement and eventually ends up in D- Dagon's temple. Um, I don't know if you recall Dagon's temple, what happened a few, uh, many chapters back, where it was this, this idol that they put the Ark of the Covenant in the temple um, to kind of say, hey, look, the Ark of the Covenant is our trophy. They put it in there and Dagon falls over, and then the second day he falls over, his head falls off. Well, now Saul's head is in Dagon's temple. And I know God does not um, get lost in details, and, and everything is for a reason, but um, I'm pretty sure that there, there's some type of mockery going on there. It's like, oh, look, you think our God lost his head? Your king lost his head, and now they're all in the, in the same temple together. Um, his armor goes to the pagan temple of Ashtaroth, which is their god of war, and it comes, becomes this, this offering. And the headless bodies 
uh, of the headless body of Saul and the dead, dead bodies of the children, of the, of the three sons, get impaled to the wall and kind of get hung up there. And that's a little gruesome today, but um, it kind of gets put up there on display to show, look, we, look what we have done to Israel. Look what we have done to Israel's king. We, you know, it's, it's their, their trophies that they put on their wall. It is a complete mockery to the Jewish people, and, there's, and there was nothing, it was not a noble way for a king to die or to be treated, but that is, that is what, what the judgment that God called upon him. You know, Israel wanted this king, and what they received was judgment. Hosea 13, uh, 10 and 11 says, Where now is your king to save you in all your cities? Where are all your rulers? Those of whom you said, give me a king and prince. Verse 11 says, I gave you a king in my anger, and I took him away in my wrath. That is some strong judgment coming down from God uh, to Israel. There's no doubt that God was not pleased with Saul, and his wrath was definitely upon Saul in Israel. Saul had no desire to honor God, and the nation paid the price. And it cost the nation terribly. You see, a life without Christ will, will cause us to move, lose more than we are willing to pay. And of all the costs that we could think of that, that we would pay for such a bad decision, is it not our souls the greatest loss? And that's where we get to the gospel. Because that's where Christ comes in the picture. For without Christ, who are we? We are, we are forced to pay the price, the penalty for our own sins, which God's word says that the wages of sin is death. So that's the payment that we need to pay for our own sins if we do not trust in Christ, which means it is impossible because we cannot pay that on our own. We would pay with our life and we would be eternally separated from God. But it is not necessary because Christ came down in the form, uh, God came down in the form of man, Jesus Christ, and he lived a perfect life. He was crucified on the cross and, and died. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And he is in heaven offering us this gift of eternal life. Once we have trusted in him and we receive the forgiveness of our sins because he paid the price, not because of us. And we cannot do that without Christ. We cannot live, we cannot have life without Christ. And so our heart and desire is that we each would trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and know that only through Christ can we have our relationship restored to God as it was intended from day one in the garden when, when, when there was no sin. But sin enters the world and just as sin enters the world through, through Adam, we get life through Christ. And our hope is that we would trust in Jesus Christ alone. And that is our prayer for each and every one of us here. And if there's anyone here that has never trusted in Christ, does not understand or, or understands the gravity of their sin and realizes that only Christ can forgive those sins, how big or how small that sin is, any sin. God's word says you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So it's 100%. No, no sin is the standard. I invite you to talk to, to one of the elders, one of the community group leaders, just anybody. Grab somebody and, 
If they don't know what to talk, they'll point you to somebody. But don't leave today without having a conversation about how to have a relationship with Christ. Because a life, will cry, a life without Christ will cause us, will cause you to lose more than you are willing to pay. Also, a life without Christ has no eternal significance. So as we um, approach these last verses here, um, it's still, it, it's the only glimmer of something positive happening, but it's still shrouded and messed up, right? Um, let's see what happens here in verse 11. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his son from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. So Saul's body is on display on the wall of this city, uh, Beth, Beth Chan. His, he's been paled to the wall and his kids are being, his children or, or three sons are being hung there on the wall. And there is this, um, this group of people that, that come, come overnight. And this, this uh, city, uh, Jabesh Gilead, is about 10 miles away. So did the homework, showed just to know where 10 miles is, it's basically from here to uh, Kendall Regional Hospital on Bird Road right next to the Turnpike. So they walked that overnight back and forth uh, with the body of their sons. And how did they do it? It says they were valiant men. They were uh, va valiant men uh, th that went and did this. Um, I'm not sure how they did this, but there is a common belief today that says if you walk into any room with a ladder, they will think you're official and no one will tell you anything. So they might have just shown up to the city with a, wall, with a ladder and put the bodies down and said, oh yeah, do, doing good work there, son. Um, so they, they walked back with this ladder. They risked their lives. And a commentary said, well, if, if they were so valid, why didn't they like go fight the war and keep, help keep Saul alive? Well, you can only go to so many battles, right? I mean, that's you got to pick, pick your battles. Uh, but at this point, they realized how devastating this was to Saul and to Israel. And they said, we need, to, we need to go and help in this situation. Now, you may or may not remember this group of guys, but I'll, I'll, I'll remind you who they were. So uh, back in Samuel 11, you might remember the story of Nasha the Amorite. His name doesn't ring a bell probably, but the incident will. So Nash, Na, Nashish, the Amorite, uh, comes to Israel, or comes to uh, uh, Gilbet, we'll just call it Jabesh, comes to Jabesh and tells them, hey, um, if you guys want protection, you guys want protection from me and from my people, from the Ammonites, um, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you, and it's only going to cost you your right eye. So you have to gouge your right eye, and we'll protect you all. Remember that story? And they're like, whoa, 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 give us seven days to think about this. Maybe a sweeter deal comes from somebody else. And so they kind of like, they're kind of crying and, and, and just disappointed that they have to gouge their right eye. If not, they're going to get killed. And Saul comes into the picture and says, hey, what are you guys crying about? They're like, well, this guy says that he'll, he'll protect us. If he'll either protect us or kill us, but we have to give him his, our, our right eye. 
And so Saul's like, whoa, 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 that, that's not right. That's not right. So Saul gathers up 300,000 men. Actually, this is one of the few cases where, where it says that uh, the Spirit of God came, came to Saul, and they gathered 300,000 men, and they went, and they just destroyed them. Um, and so he ends up decimating the Ammonite cities, and jo- Jabesh Gilead celebrates for the liberation and then acknowledges Saul as their king. So that's the situation. That's who these people are. And so at this situation, at this moment, they, they see what has happened, or they hear about it. I'm not sure you can see 10 miles, but they, they hear about it and know what's going on. And they go back, and they go to remove the bodies uh, from the wall, and they bring the bodies back, and then they burn the bodies. Now, this is not a normal practice for Israelites, and it's even less, of, uh, even less for royalty. But the situation called for a, a quick disposal, that would, would stop the enemy from taking the body once again and desecrating it and, 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 and putting it out for show. So this was kind of their, their solution. So they, it says that they, they, they burned the bodies, but they, they kept the bones. So it wasn't like a full cremation. Um, and they, they get the bones and they bury them. And this is their way to, 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 to help honor this. Uh, eventually we hear that they, they do move the bones somewhere else and they, they, they have a grave. But... This death and this burial is not befitting of a king, but it sounds about right for Saul. He was not known to be a great king. In fact, he, uh, we have already established that his kingship was more of a curse to Israel. In fact, First Chronicles 10, which is kind of a parallel passage uh, that's also talking about the same story, um, actually explains to us exactly why Saul had to die. And it's interesting, and it says in verse uh, 13, it says, Saul died... Because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance and did not inquire of the Lord. So the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, son of Jesse. Saul's Saul's reign and Saul's life was was not a life that everyone would say, wow, that's, that's, that's who we want to be. It, it's after the, his death, that's his, his life had, had no more purpose for Israel because the things that he were doing were for earthly purposes. But we, we see about Saul, you know, excuse me, David, David follows Saul. And although David has his mess ups as well, and, and some pretty bad, um, he's known as a man after God's own heart because the difference between David and Saul is repentant. It's, it's understanding who he served, that he was serving God, and that he needed to seek God. And even looking at the passage that we read this morning during the worship, we, we see uh, David's confession after realizing that he has uh, committed adultery and, 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 and killed a man, and, and his son, his son, his son uh, pays the price, pays for his, with his life because of his sins. And David goes before God just confessing and, and seeking repentance and, and seeking the forgiveness is what we read this morning in, in the, the psalm um, in between the songs there. And, and that is the major difference between Saul and David. We could, we could argue that David probably had more skills, but the most important part is that David seek God and was after God. You see, the book of, of Samuel opens up with this birth of a godly man and ends with the burial of a wicked man. 
my, my prayer for us this morning is that we would allow these two lives to teach us to prefer the honor that comes from God than that which Satan and the world pretends to give to us. Saul fell for all the traps of, of, of what was important and what people told him was important and how people told him he was important. Uh, but but that, was, that was part of his error, to not, to not seek God, to not desire God. As, we, as we've gone through these five different points, um, I've, I've turned them also into applications on how we could allow these different points uh, to, to, to be seen in a little bit different. And so my encouragement for us as we go through the five is first that we would trust in Christ in all areas of our life, that we would not pick and choose where we allow God to, to, to take hold of our life. That our dependency, the second one, that our dependency on Christ is a, should be a legacy for our children. Our dependence on Christ should be a legacy for our children. That as we, uh, when the day comes in many, many, many years, and, and we have to do your funeral, we could have your children, and your children would say, my parents were godly parents. Or my brother, my sister was a godly person that just seeked after God in everything. Our dependency on Christ is a legacy for our children. Number three, our hope and strength must be in Christ alone. That our hope and strength would be in Christ alone. Four, when all, uh, when all we need is Christ, we have nothing that we could lose. When all we need is Christ, we will have nothing that we can lose because it's all his anyways, and it's all for his glory. And, and yes, tough times will come. Tough times will come, but we keep our eyes on Christ and know that, that he's got these situations. And number five, our eternal significance is found in Christ. Our eternal significance is found in Christ. Who we are, what we do are of, 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 of no eternal significance, but who we are in Christ as his children that will last for all eternity. And that's who we need to find our significance in. That's who we need to fear day after day is follow God, follow Christ, and love Him.